All right, I think we'll get started. It's about that time. And I have to make a couple of announcements first. The first announcement is uh, next Monday is Memorial Day. Do you want to come or are you going out somewhere to visit parents, children, something? Do you want to have class next Sunday is the question. Any problem for you or you just want to go ahead? No. We'll be out of town, but of course... Yeah. Nobody else. So no, no class. No class. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's the easy part. When you when we do come back, I'm going to give you a quiz next time we meet. Okay, you can have class. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not that bad. It's only ten true and false questions. I'm going to give you two of them that will be on there, and you can think about it. First question is, first question is, is faith one of the aspects of knowledge? True or false? You can talk with people, and when you take the quiz, you can share with one another what they think. So it's just to make you ready. I, I got four here. Okay. Is faith one of the aspects of knowledge? So by faith I know things, by reason I know things. That's a question. You, you know, in college when the professor said you can talk to your, your friends and compare notes, that means we're all we're, you're all going to fail anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you will all get them right. Now, what was my second one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Is faith the foundation upon which God grants us salvation? Is faith the basis? The foundation, I don't know what word, but it's the clue by which we, God grants us salvation. And then I thought of a third one on the way here. <laughs> Is obedience... The means of fulfilling the law. <laughs> Is obedience the goal of the law? To, to fulfill the law. By obedience can I fulfill the law? <laughs> All right. You can ask them at home, your friends, your wife, anybody you like. Yeah, once you have, have, the stir, have the class next weekend, next weekend, you know, yeah. for some of us, probably going to make more I've had a couple of people. <laughs> so I think next Sunday, then, we won't have class, because you'll be worrying about these silly questions. <laughs> I'll post the questions on Facebook, on the Gateway Facebook page, and oh. I'll let people dialogue a little bit over the next couple of weeks. There you go. Could you say the last one again? Yeah. Is obedience the fulfillment of the law? By obeying, do I fulfill the law? Did you say we're not having class now? No, we won't have class. It'll give you some freedom to do what you want to do and so forth. Okay. I've got to make the quiz up first, so I'll <laughs> I'm not going to try to pick out some little thing somewhere. Next Sunday, well not next Sunday, the following Sunday we will be dealing with chapter 3. Uh, excuse me, chapter 4. About Abraham and faith.
Today we are on chapter 2. What you have in front of you is simply an outline of this chapter. It's not a complex chapter, but it is full of some very serious questions that can be deduced from it. It's the questions that I'm more interested in. Okay? Chapter 2 has probably been for me over the years the most difficult chapter to find out what in the world is Paul talking about here. Especially, for example, when you come down to verse uh, God will judge, God will give to everyone according to what he has done. Verse 6, yeah. But this occurs in other places as well in the Old Testament. This is a particular rabbinic view, too, of, of not redemption, but of fulfilling the promise. Because you have it in Job, you have it in Colossians, you have it in Proverbs, you have it in the book of Revelation. And at the end of time, God will grant to everyone according to what he or she has done. But I thought it was by faith. So this has always been my problem. What in the world is Paul talking about? So we're going to take a look at this passage. I think I've gotten this week a little bit closer to what I might think Paul is meaning. Not what I want him to mean, but what I think he's meaning. <laughs> so let's begin. You have the outline. I don't know why there's a B on the ethical person here. It should be an A, and I, I must have had something wrong somewhere. But anyway, the theme of this chapter is the judge and the criterion of judgment. We will be judged. Now the issue is, is he talking simply to the Jews, or is he also talking to the Gentiles? My impression is I divided it, not because I have a good reason for it, but I just thought it would it might be nice for it. I call it the ethical man. Paul is using the same criterion or perspective that he did in chapter 1. Chapter 1, he says to the uh, natural man, you are without excuse. Why? Because you do have knowledge. Knowledge that comes to you. What did you do with it? Paul points out several things. You suppressed the truth. Then secondly, you uh, exchanged the knowledge of God for four-footed bees. Da, 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 da. Therefore, you are without excuse. And then we raise the question, well, what if somebody didn't? <laughs> but that's a whole other kind of question. He's going to pick up that same idea. So his, if you look at your outline, I'm not going to really follow it, but the motif or basis of the nature of judgment there is this same thing. So he's going to talk about his thesis. His thesis is... Knowledge and we'll just say acts. What do you do? And I'm going to argue in the first couple of verses we could apply it not, but it's probably the ethical Jew that he has in mind. By the ethical Jew, I mean he's a guy who does all the things his religion requires of him. He keeps the law as best he can. He uh, does his works of love, he gives to the poor, he gives to all that is needed, and he keeps all of the rituals. He does all the things good. And therefore, doing that, he expects something. So now with the Jew, we've got, or with the Jewish people, what they've got is the promise. 
And God tells him, all the way through Deuteronomy particularly, who describes it, what you need to do is to keep this promise. And that means you need to obey. If you do, I will give you the promise and your descendants after you. Now, how do we know how to obey and keep the promise and keep it fulfilled? All that God promised us, we will get. If we obey what? God, in His grace, gives us the law so that we know what God wants and knows that we will get the promise. That's what Paul said. But he's going to go along this thesis. <laughs> All right? What you know is the law. What you're called to do is to obey it so that God will keep his promise. And you're going to get later, Jews are going to get after Paul. Well, Paul picks up that. Wait a minute. What if we don't disobey? Then the promise is gone. Because <laughs> the promise is coming through our obeying and we didn't obey, so why are you judging us? If our disobedience causes God to be glorified in keeping his promise, why are you judging us then? He's going to pick that up. <laughs> but it's just a, uh, an argument Paul picks up on their behalf. But I think there's even more than that. So we're going to take a look at it. There's a number of things we need to do. Paul's going to change this. Radically change the function of this. Which is in, in two ways, really, I think he's going to change that. For our benefit and for a number of things too. But let's take a look at chapter 2, verse 1. I'll take the ethical man. I take ethical man because then it would include all of us, okay? But it's probably the ethical Jew. And then we read in the English, you therefore have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else for what, whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourselves because you are passing judgment. Do the same things. Verse 2, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on the truth. Okay, Lord, I can understand that as a 21st century evangelical Christian. If I say something about you, or I do something that I shouldn't do, I can excuse myself. Because I'm a Christian. Right? Is that what Paul is saying? Or if we change the Jew to the Christian just for a moment, you and I have the law, we obey, and the promise of God is eternal life, we're assured of eternal life. If we do this. But how do we know to do this? We have the commandments, just like they did. We have the commands of God, of Jesus, so forth. Now, there's all kinds of... We are the most created people in the world when we seek to justify what we did. Don't get so bad on the poor Jews. Because these people over here who will want this promise, they don't get it anyway. But they're just a bunch of heathen anyway. The Greek word for, for Gentiles is basically heathen. They don't have any moral laws. They don't know what to do. They don't have this. We do. This is God's gift, said the Jews. You don't have it, Gentiles. So I stand over here. Say, I'm okay. I'm a good guy. These guys over there, no. 
How often do we as Christians judge someone who doesn't agree with us because we stand in the place of righteousness? We have the truth. You don't. So you folks over there, and somehow I'm afraid that we communicate this to the world. <laughs> they don't want to hear us. In fact, they don't have the knowledge anyway, but they don't want to. All you do is tell me how bad I am. You don't tell me anything about the goodness. Oh, no, God loves you, but you better straighten up. Here, I'm going to draw a line here. I'm on this side. This is the good side. This is the true side. This is the right side. You're on that side. Get over here. But you've got to change yourself around a little bit. Get, get kind of nice and straight before you can come here. Make sure you dress right, too. I mean, this was quite interesting when I went first to China as a missionary. There was a young man who got saved. Came to church one day, talking with him. I mean, he had on jeans, he didn't have a tie. Where do these Chinese people think when you go to church you have a nice suit and a pot tie and everything? That's not Chinese. <laughs> I remember when the, the women of my seminary, where I was the principal or technically the administrative vice president, they came and said, can we wear pants to church, I mean to school? Well, I'm a Westerner. There's nothing wrong with that, wearing slacks. Everybody does in China wear them. No, 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 no. You have to wear dresses. Now, where in the world did these people... And some of the faculty were quite upset that I said, yeah, I think it's okay. No, 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 no. They need to wear dresses. Proper young Chinese girls. Well... When you're in a mission field, you encounter this. Differences between cultural sense and how do you go? Well, we do it too. We've got the truth. These other guys do not participate in the promise. Be careful. And so I asked the question, my third question, is obedience the fulfillment of the law for you as a Christian? <laughs> Take a look for an answer in Romans 13. Paul will tell you what is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, my memory forgets the exact verse, but it's in Romans 13. <laughs> so you got the answer to one of your true and false questions. So just tell us the answer. <laughs> All you have to do is read chapter 13 of Romans. The one who loves one another. Yes. Love is the fulfillment of the law, Paul says. Thank you. Well, maybe you want to talk to him each time of the quiz. <laughs> well, that's why I picked up this idea of the ethical man. I wanted to make the, the point here that you and I need to take great care because God does look at us as Christians, whether we are following what Jesus says. But Paul's got to deal with that yet. Okay? Now he goes on, if you look at the outline, it's just to give you some direction here. And that's to say, the moral standard of God includes the judge. God is the one who looks at me and says, whoa, you're not supposed to be doing that. But Lord, I was being a faithful witness to you, to this poor fellow over here who doesn't know it. So, it's always a struggle as a missionary, is working with culture and communicating. So God is the basis, 
And what he does is based upon the truth. Well, that helps me a lot because I do have the truth. So, and you don't. So I have a right to stand in a place of judgment. Usually when we criticize someone, we always place ourselves in a standard of moral height. And I'm right and you're wrong. You're doing things you shouldn't be doing. Love makes it a lot harder. <laughs> a lot harder. And then I put in God's judgment based on the truth. Position is not a means of escape. Do you think that you shall escape, Paul says. Look at the text uh, when he goes down to verse 3. And when you mere humans pass judgment on them, them would be both Jews and outside, yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? I'm reminded of this when I was on a committee way back before all these young people were there uh, on... Uh, Discipline, oh, I forget what the community. Anyway, we had a very fine young pastor. Well, he wasn't so young, he's middle-aged. And it was called in because he was having an extramarital affair. And he gave an interesting answer to the committee. Well, I'm preaching better now than I was before. <laughs> that was his defense. Well, if my badness... Paul is picking this up in a different way. If my misdeeds and evils enhances God, well, God is judging correctly, then I, God must be blessing me because I'm doing well. Good pragmatic view of truth. <laughs> be careful, folks. And then, number four, which follows that too, delay of judgment does not entail cancellation of the judgment. This was an answer we might give to this other pastor, just because it's not happening now. Be careful. <laughs> Do you think God somehow's forgotten what's going on? I have well, a question. Sure. Is, um, is Paul talking to um, Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians? Well, that's a big debate. I think he's talking to uh, both, probably Hellenistic Christians but to Jews as well. It seems like it's from the standpoint of Jews rather than Gentiles. Yeah, I don't, think, I don't think it's... A, and I read a lot of guys this last week on this who argue he's not talking about Gentile Christians. In fact, I think he's making a broad point to anybody, but it's specifically to the ethical Jew. But it could be broadened out to anybody at this point. And if you go down, this is the first 16 verses. Then you go down to the others, and I picked up in the outline the criterion of judgment here is according to the works of the law. All right, now I've got to ask you questions. This is what these passages do to me. Is the law then always negative? Can the law ever be positive? In what way? Help us out. Well, if you jump ahead, Paul says it becomes a uh, standard that shows us how far we fall short of God's glory. Okay. God's expectation of us. And would we, let's get rid of the Jew for a while. And let's put us up. Keeping Paul's thesis. As a Gentile, 
then, what I would put as my expectation, of course, is acceptance before God. Acceptance with God. And the means of doing that is this. I would assume that's what Paul's saying. Have any problems with this? Verse 6, God will grant to every person according to what he, she has done. Well, that precludes someone accepting their Savior two minutes before they die. Yeah. Well, do you think that's possible? I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. I hope so. I hope so, too. <laughs> it was true for the thief on the cross. Yeah. yeah. Good point, Steve. <laughs> Isn't he pretty much speaking the, from the perspective of somebody before they accept Christ, before they find Christ? Yeah, he's not asking. I mean, Christ is not even in the picture here. He's talking to the Jew. You know, the Jew has knowledge of the law and how he actually brings about the fulfillment. I'm still in the covenant. I'm still a part of God's covenant blessings if indeed I do this. So, the Jews did not look for salvation. They just wanted to remain here in the fulfillment of this covenant and all of that promise. You'll be a great nation. I will pour out my spirit upon you. You will have a king like no other king. The content of that promise, God will be with you always. You are my people. I will protect you. All of the. So, if I... The key to them is not salvation. It's deliverance from all of the bad things that everybody else is doing to them. And the way that you are sure is, of course, the law. The law is God's. I write it on my heart. I love it. This is like honey in my mouth. Because this is what it keeps me. Now, let me take the Christian. Here's the question that it raises for me. This is why I struggled so much with Paul. Now, he's going to answer this question in great dilemma. But for the Christian, acceptance, I'm going to change it, that you and I remain in the love and grace of God. How do I know if I obey? I'm transferring this from, I think this is the deduction, and this is why I've struggled with this passage over the years. What am I obeying? You are obeying the commands of Jesus and of God. i got to do something with that right now. Look at the commands of Jesus. He's the center of the gospel. But unfortunately, we get more than that. Now, I did this in church once, so I'll do it again. <laughs> I think we have what we call, within much of it, conservative evangelicalism, we have what I call a spiritual ladder. And here I am, I'm a believer. I've accepted God as my personal Lord and Savior. But, this is a critical but. But if you want to remain here, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, I don't know what you want to put in the runs. Uh, you want some that are the hardest. 
some are easier. Do not drink, do not smoke, do not break your marriage. And then the hard ones, have devotions every Sunday morning and prayers at night and you have your prayer list. But if you don't do it, and you have the law, what is the purpose of the law for Paul? Pardon? To show us that we're not righteous. Right. It's to condemn. You didn't do it. The law's purpose, that the Jewish, is that if you break any of these, and as a believer, I start off doing pretty good. You know, I do have my devotions. I do have prayer. I'm doing all right. Pastor says it's time for having a testimony. You say, God is so great. God has kept me during the day. I'm doing fantastic. But next week, uh-oh, you get mad. Oh, I don't know. Driving down the street, somebody cuts you off, and you swear at them because you know nobody's around, so you're okay. <laughs> but there is the law. It says, ha-ha, you thought you were pretty good. You're back down the bottom. <laughs> That's why I said in, in, in my reason, I think there's more guilt among Christians today than there's ever been. Because you don't do this. This is what Paul's dealing with in this passage. But he's dealing it with the ethical Jew who thinks he's doing all the things right. And this is why Paul, it's not liked by the Jewish community. He's transferring, there's a trans value of values for him completely. And for us too. And he will go on to look at it later, especially chapters uh, 6, 7, and 8. He will really give us an answer to this question. Yeah. We had a missionary family who, I think Church of Christ background, if I remember right, but they had a child who disobeyed and went somewhere and drowned. Mm -hmm. They were terribly tormented because he died in disobedience, right? Right. And that is very important uh, to not be theoretical when it comes to understanding what is the Bible doesn't teach that. And yeah. But if you live that way, that's a yeah. If you live this way, I mean, you will all your life. Yeah. This is in my opinion. I'll just jump ahead. In chapter seven, all of this struggle. Can I do what I want to do? I argue in an article that I wrote. I argue that this is the point Paul's getting at. In chapter six, boy, we belong to Christ. We are free and everything. Now, chapter seven, no, it's not working at all. I think Paul, my argument is Paul being a Pharisee says, yes, I'm in Christ, but I've got to do my part. I think he reverts back. And it's the disaster. It's not the desire to do it. It's the inability to do it under the law. Well, take 520. For the law was added in order that the trespass might increase. Or Romans 7, 7. I would not have known what sin was except for the law. Or, I came out of this tradition, and I remember we were in Hong Kong, and I don't know what it was, but my family and I, it was some big movie that was on. And as a young man working, as I mentioned, to this family that brought me to Christ, you do not go to movies, because if you're there and Christ should come, you're going right to hell. <laughs> well, I went to a movie, first time in the movie. I sat there 
guilty the whole time I sat there. Lord, I hope you don't come. <laughs> the song of music, right? <laughs> no, it was something like that. It wasn't, you know, a really bad movie. But, you know, this was one of my takes. The other one was carry your Bible. Even when you go to school. I think it was I was a junior in high school then. And I was on the swimming team and known by everybody, you know, around because you swam pretty good. And uh, I decided I got under guilt. You know, you need to obey God. Take your Bible. Okay, I will, Lord. <laughs> I still remember that experience. I carried it. And we went by a service station and knew all the guys there on my way to walking to school. So I didn't carry it on this side of camp. No, you better carry it so they can see it, you know. That's not right. So I took my Bible to school with me. I mean, there's all kinds of things that will make you feel bad. And none of us are perfect. And I mentioned once in communion service, uh, as a young man, you know, the pastor always read, and let a man examine himself, lest, you know, for somehow falling asleep. And I thought, oh, man. So I used to confess every sin before I could take communion. Some I hadn't done just to make sure I got them all done. But that's the same thing. We've all got it, they said. But the law cannot produce righteousness. It cannot produce anything. So the next question, well, <laughs> what? The law is given, and Paul is using it from 118 as we looked at the Nazareth, all the way to 320, that we are all in need. Somebody's got to do it. I cannot. But there is, and now, listen to this passage and see what you think of it when Paul says, if I can find it. Verse 6, God will repay to each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. Wow. It seems to me that Paul is saying, if I do this, I get this. Honor, glory, and immortality. Then he goes on. I think what Paul means here. And here I think he's talking to the Jew. The Jew who does this believes that this is what he's going to get. Freedom and belonging to the covenant and blessings of God. He's not talking about salvation here. He's talking principally about what the law does. His point is to come to the Jew and say, you're wrong. The law does not bring you the good blessings that you seek. It does the opposite. It brings you guilt and condemnation. That's his point. Otherwise, you're going to say, well, there, well, here's a guy who works at it. You know, look, he gets eternal life. Otherwise, and that was always the thing that I was struggling with. But I think he's just saying anybody. Or you meet a person who says, well, you know, don't work or somewhere. Well, I do good. I have this. I meet a lot of people when I'm practicing swimming. And ask me what I do and so forth and so on. Well, I'm doing good. I think God will be all right with me. And they think by doing good, they will get honor, glory, and immortality. That's what they want. Problem is, <laughs> it doesn't work. 
How many good deeds do you have to do? The problem with the good thing, I, well, I'm going to do the good, you know. The question is, how much? How much? Did I miss something? Maybe I thought I did that, but I only got it up to here. But this last part I didn't get. So doing the good, I never know for sure whether I've done all of the good things that I ought to do. And when I'm on time honest with myself. So people are looking. You know, in Romans 1, we have this. People are still striving to try to do this. And so we have all kinds of religions and things that might get you on the way. Help you out. So we have an advancement. We now change the words we call spiritual. I'm not going to be religious, but I'm spiritual. That is, I do a lot of good things. I have a sensitivity. It's not so much the doing. It's my own sensitive heart in doing good works that God will be pleased with me. So this is the issue for Paul here. No, it doesn't. In other words, Paul is going to say to them, the law is more than its written code. It has a real purpose. <laughs> Unless someone comes and fulfills the law on my behalf, I have no freedom. But then he reminds us, do not use your freedom as an excuse to do evil because you're free. God's on my side. God has done it for me. So, Lord, it's not so bad if I think somebody's a dork or whatever. I don't know what you might think or what you might say about somebody. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And then we can spend a lot of time on this. And I've preached here on love before. But. So this is, this is the issue here. You know, when you say love is the fulfillment of the law, well, then also, to get to know, I'm just putting it on a human perspective, to get to know somebody, I mean, to love them, you want to get to, you can have a love experience, but I mean, to get to know them, you want to, to love them, you need to get to know them. Yes, so, I agree. So it is with God, his word is, Okay, we're going to, Paul's going to come back to that point, that very point. But it's not easy. I'll give you a personal illustration. Uh, way back, maybe a couple of years ago, in swimming, there was this guy, he drives a taxi cab. I got to know him. He was the most ornery guy. And when you swim, if there are too many, then you swim two people in the lake. And he hated it. He was mad at the lifeguards all the time. Why don't you make more lanes? Why can't? And when he swam, he would throw his arm out. So if you're saying, well, whichever lane you're in, you would hit hands, you know, because they're just too far out. He'd get so mad. He was mad all the time. So I thought, I'm going to try something, Lord. I'm going to see how I can make friends with this guy. So I talked with him and found out, talked about what he was interested in. Uh, he liked to watch. Uh, he's kind of a smart guy. He listened to history uh, programs all the time. He had a lot of questions about history and things. And pretty bright guy. But just tried to care for him. The lifeguards just wished he didn't come because he was always mad at them about something. I mean, he was very, very vocal. I mean, anybody around could hear what he was mad about. But I found he and I became friends and began to talk for a while. And I think it makes a difference. He was open to me. He 
You know, we would talk, and well, why is he struggling with certain things and so forth? And love does make a difference. But I want you then, for your next class, to read chapter 4 about Abraham and faith and how faith works in this whole process. And that's your assignment. Let me see if I have another question. I had a quick comment. Sure. This is making me realize one thing that I know I have struggled with, or I've seen it happen a lot. You know, you, you feel like when you, I've come aware of this whole thing about, you know, your relationship with God is going to cause you, God's given me a very distinct personality and a very distinct perspective. And I can think, okay, I'm not judging others. God's really brought that to my attention. But then you start seeing people that you really respect um, and honor. And you start seeing, oh, they don't do this. They do do this. And it's amazing how all of a sudden you don't mean to, but you start picking up things, oh, I should do because this person here has nothing to do with even what I'm reading in the Word. Or but you can just get off. Oh, if I think, you know, that's what God has called that person to do. Boy, I should be doing it. And it's like, there's that constant thing for me. I feel like God is always saying, well, is that something I asked you to do? Or is that what I've asked? But then my husband's always good at saying, well, sometimes I know God has spoken to you, and I want you to obey that. But he may not have spoken that to your adult daughter. You need to be really careful not to transfer. I think those things are just tricky because there's some things that are across the board for every person in the you know, from in the Bible. Yeah. And then there's some people that he's going to say, I want you to go to the bars. And I would, but he, he may not ask everybody to be That's in the true. bars. And he may ask you to keep yourself very, very far from that and just live a quiet life and grow your garden and pour into your but that's not right for I think for me, that's what I'm always constantly asking God, where did I get tricked up to speak? I'm really prone to that. Well, you know, I think I'm we all are. I think, like I gave that uh, movie illustration where I went. But I always struggled with that because the rest of us there. It takes time for me to say and to learn my life and to learn to know how God is speaking to me personally what I should be doing. And it's good to have someone like your husband to say something to you or somebody who's a good friend who really cares. You know. But for, for us personally, we're always struggling with this, this latter thing. Yeah. We're always struggling with it. And it really increases for us when we see somebody else do something that we think we should do. Well, they're such a great witness. That's why I've mentioned in some sermons. God has given me some good friends. A friend I told you after this college, he's talking to me go witnessing house Not for me, Joe. I, that's not what God has called me to do. But I would go along with this. Gradually, I got more ease at it. And I think over the thing, because I was just a very, very shy person. Still am. I'm a contemplate. I like being alone, reflect, do those kinds of things. But... I find it easier. And I don't know whether I've just gotten more confident, but I know that he has impacted me. You can do this. I can't do it like he does. But recently, swimming, I meet a lot of people and so forth. They don't know how an old guy can swim as fast as he does. It's not very fast anyway, but it's faster than the most average swimmer. And so they ask me things about who I am and what I do. 
so I get a chance. And it doesn't bother me at all anymore because I'm convinced that the gospel, one of the reasons it helps me a lot is I'm convinced that the God wants to heal and make them whole and new. Not that he just wants to save you and get your religious things all straightened around. I think God is more personal. So I look at people that way, you know, God has a wonderful, God makes us whole again. What we really desire inside to be. And they look at but you think about it, you know. Because most people are struggling, really personally struggling, with who they are, where they're going, what's going to happen to them, especially in our day and age. Somebody could shoot me on the street, or something could happen, and I don't know what's going on. So, but that's an excellent question. And especially it gets hard when somebody we admire and and does things we think they ought not to do, or does things that they do well, and it's not for me. Uh, when I am in interim pastors, I always I am not an evangelist, so I won't give an altar call unless God presses it upon me to do so. I try to teach you, help you to grow in your Christian faith. That's my gifts from God. And I see other people. I listen to lots of preachers. I try to learn why are they doing this? Why do they do it better than I do? So that's where I learn a lot. Excellent question. I heard a guy a long, a long time ago. He was actually a presidential speechwriter for Ronald Reagan. And he said, isn't it interesting that as a Christian, we can look at, well, the Jews, you know, the law is given so we can see basically that we can't keep the law. It's impossible to keep the law. So we make up our own laws. Oh, we do. We, instead, of, instead of looking at, at the law, which we couldn't keep, we just make up our own laws and we decide that we should keep these laws. Yeah. But then we look at the other person and it's like, well, their laws aren't good enough. <laughs> they should have our laws that we make And up. make sure you don't have a cup of wine at right. supper. Yes. I mean, we have lots of those kinds so of laws, denominational laws. Kind of funny how we, yeah. It's a lot harder to be a loving person in those kinds. And that's when it really, we really have to struggle with it. Well, one last point, okay? Paul radically changes everything. And take a look at number two under privilege sign. Circumcision we didn't deal with. Take a look at Genesis 17 is when circumcision is given. A true Jew, and I said transvaluation of values. Verses 28 and 29. Let's go back to A person is not a Jew who is one who is outwardly. And explains what he means by outwardly. Nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Whoa, those are the two signs that I count on. <laughs> but Paul ran into this later with uh, one of his disciples who was not circumcised when he went back to Jerusalem. And they were very upset that he should be a part of Paul's community. Have you been baptized? <laughs> oh, I'm going in some heresy here. Have you been baptized? Then you're not a good Christian. Or I've got other things here. I could get a whole list of things. You are only a Republican if you want to be a real true Christian. No, 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 no. no. 
fine metal. I know. I remember one day walking down the hallway, another professor, Pastor Don, I was saying, Don, did you know that Jesus was a Democrat? He was, and they went on to talk about Jesus. He cared for the poor, reached out to those who were in trouble. So <laughs> anyway, but transvaluation of values. I did get off the point meddling. I'm sorry. But in verse 28 and 29, No, a person is a Jew if it is inward and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit and not by the written code. So he changes the law. life of the spirit. Paul becomes a man who really now introduces the role of the spirit in the life of the Christian. Here's where it is in And here's where we have to come back to confidence. We still are not sure how all the Holy Spirit works. I was going to write a book on the spirit. I just don't have the energy anymore as old as I am. But I still think a lot about it. I worked on a temporary outline for it, but that's about as far as I got. Let me ask you this question. We know the law brings out sin. You are guilty. That's the negative and primary purpose for following the law. It is negative. Is the law ever positive? And what does that mean? Well, yeah, but that's, that gets me back at the same problem again. But I would say he now transfers the law and brings in the spirit. The law, there's a wonderful article written by Klein Snodgrass. I may be in the Evangelical Theological Journal, I can. But he says, the law functions in the sphere in which you place it. If you are really struggling with all the things you should do, the law will not be of help to you. But I've tried to preach sometimes, and I've put it in some of the books I've written, that the Spirit seeks to produce in us those kinds of character traits that God originally wanted us to possess. I connect that with the fruit of the Spirit. Now how all that works, I'm not sure. I'm struggling with or wondering with the constant references in, in the New Testament about the mind. Romans 12, 2 particularly. Be transformed in the renewing in your mind. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. I'm wondering if the spirit does not impact the way we think, which produces certain character traits. I haven't fully resolved this because I'm not a neurologist. <laughs> I did some reading on it. But part of it, when they get into technical terminology, I don't know what they're talking about. But I think for my purposes, if I can get my mind to think in certain ways, in positive ways, in that way, that will affect my conduct or others. Caroline Lee, right? <laughs> you 
love Dr. Caroline Lee. Would I? She, that's that's that her what thing. she talks about. Yeah. She's in the, the word and yeah. neurology of the brain. She's a neuroplastician. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad I thought of it. I'm glad I have somebody else who thinks the way, the way I do. It makes me think I'm not too bad off. But there are, the whole section of neurology is very, very interesting. How our mind works and functions and goes ways. Okay, we're going to stop there. I want to remind you, we're going to struggle the next time we meet on faith. If it's not by works, then it's by faith. And faith produces, or grace, I should say, produces faith. What is this thing, faith? Is faith a container? Do I understand it as a container? How much faith do you have? Like a, a cup or a Well, I have... This much, or I am filled with faith, or what is faith? Should we understand faith in the, we often do in a container way. Or another analogy we use is, are you plugged in? You plug in socket and <laughs> fills you up. But sometimes in life, this becomes a struggle. If you have a child in a far country, if you have other kinds of personal struggles, physical or whatever else, this begins to waver. If it's here, then I think we're in good trouble. So faith, we're going to talk about faith. So try and write in your definition of faith. And you'll have a quiz. Write a definition of faith. And then we want you to share it. We'll put you into two groups or one group or couples that share your concept of faith. And Abraham now becomes important. And Paul picks up Abraham in chapter 4 because it is through Abraham that the promise comes. Well, did he do it by works or by faith? This is Paul's argument. And he puts it in circumcision. Was Paul circumcised before he had the promise or after he had the promise? So Paul is bringing this whole emphasis back to bear again on the same question again. <coughs> well, we're going to get into some really interesting Christian kind of things. We'll get into six. Do you want to deal with Romans 5 on 7? I thought about it. Your definition of sin. What is sin? So depressing. <laughs> well, we could. Correct eight. <laughs> we, uh, we could become Roman Catholics. It really helps, I think. Sometimes I think that would be nice. Where you have mortal sins and venial sins. Venial sins, you know, God can live with it with us. Mortal sins, he cannot. How about a confessional on the corner? <laughs> well, that might help, too. I'm just thinking. Well, thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I will deal with five, then. And then we get into the glorious chapter six. Thank you, everyone, for your patience and kindnesses. Thank you. You know, I should have, and I forget things, I should have talked about the positive role of the obedience. I'll have to do that next time.
think I, sh I shared with you here six years ago. When you finish getting that hot water, someone might have got a vision.